On this episode, we find out why being too smart can be a bad thing. Kirk beats up his friends for reading too fast. Spock is a sore loser. Sticking tinfoil in your eye is not encouraged. And you should never mess with Hot Lips Houlihan. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Find a station and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the first episode to feature Captain Kirk. It is uh, where no man has gone before. So this is actually the second pilot that was produced for Star Trek. Now, it actually ran, um, and it's the first episode ever to have Captain Kirk in it. Um, this you'll see, Scotty, you'll see a lot of people they organized for later, later Star Trek. But this was the third episode that was aired but actually the first that was produced with captain kirk this was the this was the pilot that basically had the action that nbc so desperately thought was missing from our first encounter with the cage yeah which if you've watched the episode it's not exactly what i'd call action packed. <laughs> hey what are you gonna do so this uh this originally aired in september 22nd 1966 um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, everything's not quite set in stone yet. So obviously there's, there's a lot of weird stuff with colors and set dressing and people's roles and things they say. <laughs> it, it's a little odd. <laughs> it seems very odd as you've established two episodes with characters. And then for a third episode, you just kind of throw everybody out of place. And then in the fourth episode, you just go back like none of that ever happened. <laughs> exactly. Cause that makes perfect sense. It sounds like Fox actually ran this <laughs> guys over at Firefly. They, they just raised a beer to me. Just saying. <laughs> so Leonard Nimoy is of course in this episode again. Because he's the only one who was in all of the pilots and <laughs> all 80 episodes. Every, there's other people who can say they were in all 79, but he gets the to wear the crown as being in all 80, including the uh, the first unaired pilot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. If you didn't put the gauge in there. Yep. Yep. So this was written by Sam uh, Samuel Peoples, which he was a noted TV writer. He wrote tons for 60s television westerns. So this was directed by James Goldstone, who, again, journeyman director of both TV and film. Um, he would also go on to uh, direct the episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? One of my favorite episodes. Um, he also directed the movie, The Gang Who Shouldn't, Couldn't Shoot Straight, which is a great comedic but film. Don Knotts? Uh, you know what? I'd have to go back and look I want to get the cast on that. Oh, I've seen it, but it's been so long. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> it's been a while since I was in my uh, live action slapstick Western phase. <laughs> and uh, Goldstone was a good friend of James Dewan. So a lot of people believe that it's probably one of the reasons Dewan got the job to begin with. Um, and then he also, what, what I found was fascinating is there was a shortage of cinematographers during this particular time. So he had Ernest Holler, pulled out of retirement who is the guy who won the oscar for cinematography on gone with the wind oh wow so that <laughs> guy is the one who's shooting the second pilot 
of Star Trek. That explains why there's so many Vaseline lenses in this, <laughs> in this episode, because there's a lot. Um, I did just look it up. It, it looks like the uh, the big headliner in The Gang Who Couldn't Shoot Straight was Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jerry Orbach. Like, holy oh. crap. <laughs> All right. It's on TCM I, from time to time. This is not the movie I was thinking of. I got to go back and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny story about two warring mafia gangs. This is not a slapstick Western. <laughs> so this pilot actually got done because of Lucille Ball again, uh, basically not giving up on Star Trek. She really believed in the project. And so she took the notes from the cage, um, threw them in Gene Roddenberry's face and said, get it done. Um, and they absorbed a lot of the cost for shooting this second, uh, uh, Desilu, the studio took on a lot of the cost of shooting this second pilot, uh, which actually only ended up costing, I believe about a third, uh, well, le- I know less than half of the original, uh, of the cage, huh. which fair. You have some of your exteriors already done. That probably, you know, helps quite a bit with that cost, but. Oh yes. And those exteriors were so good. <laughs> It's one of those things of watching him on the remastered uh, Paramount Plus. And it's funny because they do such a good job of holding the motion, trying to keep the motion as much as possible from the actual show. But it really brings back that. Oh, yeah. I I remember what that looked like the first time. Right. That ship is clearly going sideways. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Um, Originally. Star Trek was going to have in the original edit, they were going to have uh, the different acts um, spelled out like Quid Martin productions used to with the, uh, you know, Mannix and things of that nature, you know, act three scene two. Um, But they kind of jerked that out of there from what I've been told. Also the vocals for the space, the final frontier, that was kind of a last minute decision. Um, And it was largely because they thought it might, give people an idea of what exactly they were about to watch. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Um, (laughs) I mean, uh, we have to keep going back to the fact that at this point, the, the network execs were still convinced that people would have no idea what this show was and couldn't (laughs) possibly conceive of the concept of, of, you know, people on a spaceship flying (laughs) through space. It's just too much for the average American to, to understand. (laughs) Uh, Jim Kirk being played by William Shatner. I have read, um, in fact, in Shatner's book, he said that Jack Lord was, they were really, really interested in getting Jack Lord for the part. Um, some people have said Jack Lord wanted a little too much input regarding the uh, the character and the stories and considering the type of production they were doing, they were like, no, I'm sorry, you do, we're not going to have time for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can get that. I mean, Oh wow! There's somebody actually put together a uh, Photoshop of him in, in in Shatner's body. That's that's just disturbing. <laughs> Oof. Now I think Jack Lord would have been a, a much different experience, right? Because I mean, there's a guy who took himself way too seriously in his like in his roles. Yes. Um. And so I, I don't know that that would actually have been very good. Whereas Shatner, I mean, first off, I gotta say, watching this episode. I get it. I get why they went with Shatner yes. because the first time he's on screen, you're like, damn, this dude is gorgeous. 
and he's smirking at everything. Like he's just having a blast being there. <laughs> he fits. And who would have guessed that it would be, you know, 60 years of this guy having a blast doing this. <laughs> but uh, no, it, like it totally just works. Um, and so, yeah, it was just one of those things where I was just like, I, I was watching it. And I was like, okay, now I get it. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you watch I, the later episodes or you listen to all the lore, you watch, you know, the movies or whatever. And you're like, ah, he's so corny. But that first episode, you're like, damn, he hit it out of the park. Yeah. It, it, there's a, there's a charm that comes off that really probably Jack Lord, I don't think would have been able to, to, you know, duplicate. Um, and yeah. considering you have Spock as kind of the heavy mm-hmm. and you have a bunch of guys, you know, going around doing their jobs, having, having Shatner as kind of a, a counterweight to that, I think worked really, really well. I got to wonder about those meetings though. Cause you know, Shatner was like, you know, um, can I get my face on screen more? Yes. <laughs> can I have more lines? <laughs> and really Nimoy is just like, I just want to shout more. Can I, can I shout? <laughs> I really like the shouting part. <laughs> Could I possibly deliver my lines louder? (laughs) Right. Shatner, Shatner's idea, you know, Jack Lord wanted input on stories and Shatner's uh, input was generally, why couldn't you have more of me in this scene? You know, what's really good in this scene is me. (laughs) Listen, is there any way that I could be kissing myself? Oh, 40 years. Okay. I'll wait 40 years or 30 years. <laughs> um, okay. So the very first captain's log start at one, three, one, 2.4, which as far as I know means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, reading through the history of start dates is actually really interesting stuff. Um, because it wasn't until TNG that they, they were like, holy crap, we can make these mean something. Yes. Yes. And there's, I've seen different, um, different arguments about what they actually meant in the old series where people were like, oh no, it's tied to this episode. And you can tell because of the, the episode number. And if you extrapolate that and work it against this number and this number and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so it's all made up. Um, (laughs) But then TNG actually, after the first season, they were like, that was really cool. And people noticed when the numbers weren't in order. (laughs) So now we're going to put it in the show Bible and it's really cool. <laughs> you can actually track the stuff after the, or during, or from the second season on. And from what I understand from that point forward, all shows have paid attention to what the start dates actually mean. Yes, actually uh, Picard, they made a special uh, specific instance of, of pointing out that Picard, uh, the new season of Picard that's happening right now, the third season, um, fits exactly with the star dates from the end of the show to the point they are right now. And, and, uh, that's fantastic. Anyway, but in the beginning it meant nothing. It was. And basically the idea was originally from what I know was they were trying to find a way to, um, correct for time dilation that would exist when you're just going all over the place faster than light. Um, and they were trying to find a way, well, trying to log with one particular stellar body wouldn't work. And so they created the Stardate system that would sync up with all the star Starfleet vessels and the Federation in general to give them some sort of common time device. But that's as much as I know about it. Yeah. So Roddenberry and Peoples got together at a dinner and they sat down to talk about Stardates. 
And the quote is, they marked off sections on a pictorial depiction of the known universe and extrapolated how much earth time would elapse when traveling between given points. Blah, 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 Einstein, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of crap in there. (laughs) (laughs) So um, basically it comes down to if you're in a different part of the universe and you're flying at the speed of light, time's going to pass differently for you. So we have to have numbers that can be synced up between different locations and they can go, oh, that's what that means. (laughs) Peebles was quoted as saying, we thought this was hilarious because everyone would say, how come this data is before, or this date is before that date when this show is after that show? And the answer was because you're in a different part of the galaxy. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) Now that's some forethought. You know, there's going to be some nerds that are going to be watching this show. And, um, you know, that tells me is that Peebles, was that kind of nerd. (laughs) He was the guy who was like, but he didn't get out of the car. (laughs) So they get a distress call and it's 200 years old. Hey, wait, isn't that right now? Is it? I thought it was like, uh, I actually, actually, I guess it's going to be about 40 years from now. Roughly 300 and some odd years in the future. Minus 200. So this is about a hundred years past us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. We're nerds. Anyway. (laughs) So that's important to know. (laughs) More important to know is that everybody's got their cool ass turtlenecks on. (laughs) He is the crew of the Enterprise. It's laundry day and everyone had to go ahead and dig out things from the box, the hand-me-down box from the previous crew. And so everybody's rocking the varsity turtlenecks. No black collars on these. Just kind of... Um, and, and I have to say, it really looks like the laundry wasn't done very well because the necks on these things really look like they've been worn out. Right? Everybody <laughs> everybody does look like they've been just yanking on that thing. Like, it's uncomfortable. For the bacon collar, I think they have a commercial. I think, you know, calls <laughs> a bacon collar. Plus, everybody's <laughs> uniform's the same color. So it kind of makes me think, eh, somebody just mixed up the wash. <laughs> so they're they're in the the uh, recreation hall and they're playing chess. It's Spock and Kirk again. And as we know, Spock and Kirk love to play chess. (laughs) 3D chess. That's right. And as we've talked about before, this is Tri-D chess as as purchased from an actual department store because they (laughs) sold it at the time. (laughs) Now, just a a point here, a nonsensical point. Uh, Spock in this one is still in the uh, command yellow. Which is okay. odd because in Strange New Worlds, he's wearing blue. So he might have been in the command track for minor a couple of weeks, maybe. Or it's episode three and the studio didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, 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 the blue and red shirts came in. We're good. We're good. And and Scott's and Spock's still doing a little bit of grinning like he did in the in the cage. He's he's not quite as smiley, but but he's got a little smirk going on himself in in this one when he uh, refers to uh, <laughs> to Kirk's human emotions. Oh God, 
it's almost <laughs> as bad as Data telling us he's not a real boy. <laughs> what I really love is Kirk beats Spock playing chess using a logical move, and Spock's first move is to go races and say, well, it's because I'm half human. Right. <laughs> I, I also love the, the, well, how did he beat you? Because he did something completely illogical. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so he did a move you didn't think about? Is that that's what you're saying? Yeah. I, I was thinking Spock, Spock was like, well, it was a new set of rules I never heard of. And, and I don't know what Fizzbin is, but man, it's. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, we've got Tennis Girl in the background. <laughs> Um, I I miss I am really sorry this is the last time we're going to see tennis girl or tennis guy <laughs> in a Star Trek episode cuz I really like that touch. I really like the people walking around in uh, in recreational gear. You know, I I got to admit though, TNG totally brought that back cuz yes. that, that was severely lacking in later seasons of this show and TNG totally brought that back. You'd be you know, you'd, you'd have two commanders walking down a hallway and they'd be passed by somebody in like Parisi squares outfit or like, you know, somebody carrying a, a big bouquet of flowers or little kids walking with their parents. Like I, I kind of dug it. And I think that was also part of Roddenberry's real hardcore. I don't want it to be too military. Right. It's uh, an, it's a ship of exploration. Why wouldn't there be families on there? Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know. Oh. It was just kind of weird. Plus there was a stack of paperback books. <laughs> um, or just paper books. Um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because they, the scene where we see the paper books, they're directly behind the digital information center that's in the <laughs> middle of the table. I thought that was kind of funny. And they um, get a call, they get a call up from the bridge and the call they get is on this big screen TV. And I'm thinking where are we going to see, we don't see those like ever again in Star right. Trek. Well, it turns out they blew a bulb and you can only get those shipped from Japan. So. <laughs> those old things real mess. Yeah. The one burns out, you know, and the, he just ends up looking kind of greenish purple, you know, cause right? the biggest, <laughs> man, I do remember the, uh, RGB. <laughs> I had a friend in uh, San Francisco. I, I went over to his and his roommate's house and they had a an RGB big screen TV, but theirs was the projector style that had the big screen and then oh, it was yeah. like a bowling alley lane and there was <laughs> the free bulb projector. Oh my god, so cool! <laughs> the sad part is, is that I saw this in uh, like 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it still worked. That's still really cool. <laughs> Uh, actually what was really cool is that it, it kept up. We were playing video games on it and it still worked great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, uh, after they get the distress call, they head down to the transporter room. Cause um, we found some sort of beacon, a beacon from the 200 year old valiant. Yeah. Cause you know, beaming aboard a beacon always works well. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Okay, so, so yeah, they show up to the transport room, and Scotty's wearing what? Peach? I mean, I hate uh, to use the term flesh tone, but I think it was still beige, right? I, th- I think he just, you know, maybe he got washed in his stuff got washed with the <laughs> command guys, and he's like, oh, oh, what's he doing? <laughs> All right, I, I, I said I wasn't going to do that anymore. <laughs> It's like, you guys get the faded uniforms, right? 
Um, this is if you're gonna leave them out on the line that long, you can wear them, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we see Scotty as a transport uh, chief. Um, I'm not really sure why he's only the transporter chief, but sometimes he is. I it, it just it's never made sense on this show. <laughs> I think it's something he likes to do. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think I think he's really into it. Captain, can I take a shift as a transport agent? <laughs> Please. It's what he does to relax. It's how it's how he gets out of other work. Oh no. I would love to help you with the level three diagnostic, but I have transporter duty. <laughs> You're the head of our department. Uh, what do you can what can you do? Can't be helped. <laughs> Welcome to the Enterprise. Have you filled out your customs form? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they they find a black box and they go, I sure hope the tapes are intact. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the whole thing about tapes constantly, because it'll come back time and time again. You're thinking that thing's been out in space in 200 years. If it does have tapes, yeah, no, they're not they're not working. Right. Here. Well, maybe there's a, maybe there's a hard drive to back it up. Well, the thing is, they're actually going to have to pull the tape all the way out and then take a pencil into the spindle <laughs> and then go ahead and, <laughs> and re-roll it back in because it's super tight and it's making squeaky sounds. So that's how old we are. Oh, you're losing the millennials. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> so uh, why you put on here, why does Mr. Spock only have or have the only good PC? <laughs> they just say, just load it up to Spock's computer. Like I, you've got an entire ship of computers. <laughs> I did think this was kind of interesting that they're like, you know, the, the tapes don't work. So we've got to load it on Spock's computer and they're all looking at him. Like you, you can do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's the lone it guy going, yes, I'll do it. It's fine. I'll fix it. Actually throughout the entire series, Spock does kind of come off as the, as the bastard it guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like constantly. Yeah. I'll fix it. Move. <laughs> I think he was one of those guys that it was just like, if I don't do it, it, it won't get done right type thing. He kind of had OCD and a little bit of totally. know, control issue. Get out of the I, way. I'm going to do it. As a fellow IT guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they start trying to download it and immediately there's a red alert. <laughs> yeah. The, the little light starts flashing going bink, bink. And then Kirk just flips out. Red alert. Right. Wait, what? Like, what? What's going on? And then they <laughs> okay. So they go into the hallway. This is this is a, a hallway we haven't seen before um, because they dressed it differently for some reason. And um, there is the word "warning" flashing on the wall, which I kind of like. Actually, I gotta be <laughs> honest. It, it, it reminded me of the you know the red alert sign flashing up and down the the corridors. But it was just warning and it was just sitting there and it was written on the wall. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't flashing or anything. Also, I'm pretty sure that all the people who entered that hallway are wearing suit slacks. They were Very, in a bin that said unisex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was fantastic. But you know what? It, it, it made them look really good walking away. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we do get the voiceover. Yay, voiceover. Because this is where we go to the first commercial, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we come back and Kirk has to give us an update for all those people <laughs> who didn't watch the beginning of the show. <laughs> this is a show about space. 
<laughs> we're gonna fly wait, around space we're wait wait which, people which space are you talking about is this space the first frontier <laughs> oh oh space the final frontier okay <laughs> the earlier series had to do with space the penultimate frontier this is, <laughs> this is the final frontier this you know what the, it's still really good because we get the voiceover we don't get the the really uncomfortable silence that was the cage <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Where it was just, just you're just watching a ship haul ass across your screen. Two or three <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on here. What is that? Is that an iron? I don't understand. The pizza cutter's upside down. And the irony of the cage was that the opening is the Enterprise just hauling ass everywhere. And in the actual show, it really doesn't. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, it goes through uh, True, they did have that trip. Yeah. They did have the trippy time warp. Okay. (laughs) So they, they head to the bridge because now we got to go to the bridge. One thing I really noticed in this shot, because this is a much whiter shot than we usually see in Star Trek, man, the enterprise incorporated a lot of sheet metal in its construction. You know, I, I gotta say that's something I noticed about this, this ship a lot. There's always sheet metal everywhere, (laughs) sheet metal and, uh, um, metal grates. They love metal grates. Yes, metal grates. Love the metal grates. Now, they do a shot in this. So one of the things that always makes me happy about the old series is they did a great job of experimenting with camera angles and camera shots. And some of the most iconic uh, Star Trek tropes of camera manipulation come from this show. You know, people talking and walking, heading down the hallway and just getting a nice steady shot of them through, you know, snaking through all the sets. Um, you know, some of the, the zoom in shots where you just kind of slowly zoom in on somebody as they're having a realization and, you know, and the, uh, the shots coming on the bridge, like looking at everybody all at once and the, the big open shot that's always going to be standard, you know, lots of stuff, but there's also a lot of things that just disappeared. <laughs> so like there's a, there's one in uh, the last episode where Kirk is walking into the, uh, the turbo lift and the camera follows him right up to his face. Oh, it's yes. a really cool shot. Yeah. And they never do that anymore. Yeah. They, they stopped doing it. This one, they decided to experiment with an overhead shot. So as they're all piling into the turbo lift and getting ready to go, the camera's up above them, which I'm yeah, sure that was, was a cool shot. Right. And I'm sure it was one of those things that like, they haven't figured out the sets yet. And they're like, I can't get a camera in there. (laughs) How are we going to shoot this? But it was still, it was a very impressive shot. It gave a a really different feel to the whole thing and actually changed the lighting enough to where it almost felt like a different show. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. So yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm really in love with all the experimental shots they do on this series. And this episode is definitely one of the, it's the first one to, to really try it out. Anyway, and so they get in the, uh, we forgot to mention that on their way to the turbo lift, they've picked up Gary Mitchell along the way, who's Gary apparently Mitchell. Jim's old friend, uh, played by Gary Lockwood. Um, I guess he wasn't good at different first names. Um, <laughs> he was born John Gary Eurosec. Uh, he was a stunt man. And funnily enough, he was Anthony Hopkins stand in for a while. Oh, wow. Which. If you think about it, young Anthony Hopkins, I can kind of see it actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That does um, make sense. Now, what did make me laugh is that the sh- one of the shows he was known for was the, he was on the Lloyd Bridges show in, in an episode entitled, My Daddy Can Lick Your Daddy. 
man, the sixties were different, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Now, funnily enough though, Gary was also in uh, craft mystery theater with Sally Kellerman, who will come out later. Before, yeah. Anyway, so they they pop into the into the turbo sh- turbo lift, and Mitchell's immediately like, "Hey, Jim," <laughs> and I just thought it was kind of odd because he he is he is a lower ranking officer. He really should be calling him captain, but he's just like, "Yo, Jim, what's up?" <laughs> it's just kind of weird. So in this episode, actually, I did notice because you made the note on that. I did notice that there's far less use of titles in this episode. They oh, do. That makes sense. They do use a lot of. And again, I think this was Roddenberry trying to get away from the militarization aspect of Starfleet. But other than them referring to him as Captain, most of the time he refers to Kelso as Lee a couple of times. Um, there's a very casual atmosphere. Now that might just be a Jim Kirk thing. I like to run a casual ship type thing, (laughs) Um, but I'm guessing it probably had to do with Roddenberry really trying to keep a military, trying to diminish the military aspect of Starfleet. I could see that. That makes sense. So they, they make it to the bridge and uh, (laughs) who, who was it who asked him about chess? I forget who it was, but somebody comes up and is like, Hey, Oh, it was, it was the yeoman who was on board or on the, the bridge. He walks up and he's like, Hey Spock, I, I heard you lost at chess. <laughs> and Spock's just kind of like, yeah, but he sucks. So, so what? <laughs> <laughs> and we get um, to the, when we get to the actual bridge, it's the actual bridge. It's, yeah. it's the bridge that we know other than one particular thing, which is, in the cage, everybody had the Ikea gooseneck lamps on their station. Now, Jim Kirk is the only one. Everybody else has gotten rid of him. Jim Kirk still has the gooseneck. But we have red doors. We have red railings. Um, we have a much smaller view screen than we're used to. But this is the bridge that we're most familiar with. I wonder if that's because Lucille Ball is the one who actually got RCA to, to sponsor. That might be how she got this second one paid for is she was like, all right, RCA, you're going to pay for this. And RCA is like, we need a little pop of color. Let's start working on it. I do think no, that those, the lamps give it a very Jetsons feel, which I mean, you know, given the time frame, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, unfortunately, Kirk's lamp just kind of, or I guess it's not really a lamp. It's more like a microphone or something, Yeah, but it, it looks more like the, uh, uh, the firing pod from the aliens in war of the worlds. <laughs> yes. Yes, right? exactly. I kept waiting for it to, to death ray somebody, <laughs> but man, did they downgrade their view screen? Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the screen flicker that it did in the cage. So at least they got rid of that problem. Right. Uh, <laughs> once again, RCA is sponsoring. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, we get our first shot of Spock at his science station and he's listening very intently and everybody's waiting for him to listen very intently <laughs> to this earpiece he's got that is, I, I can't tell what it is. It looks like half of a set of headphones or maybe it's like a, um, like an ultrasound or something. It, yeah, it's, 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 real weird. it's bizarre. I actually went on a deep dive trying to find this prop and I came back with Bubkus. I found somebody who had actually made a recreation of it. They had no idea what it originally was. Um, But if you 
so in doing this research, I found all these really up close, like super detailed pictures of it. And (laughs) you can see that the cord is all frayed. uh, The paint's all chipped off. Like this is clearly something somebody found in a surplus house. And (laughs) they had no idea what it was either. (laughs) It was just some piece of crap that they could jam the cord into the counter and say, yep, it's a communicator. (laughs) It's either a medical instrument or it's a communicator. Right. We'll figure it out when the time goes. <laughs> Does it have paper pepper in it? No. That's a communicator. <laughs> so they there is a random blonde standing behind the captain. Who does absolutely nothing in this entire show. The only thing I can think of was Roddenberry was still doing one of those stick to NBC. It's like, oh yeah, you don't want females on the bridge? And just yeah. had to make sure that he put one there just just to be sure that he got his way. I kind of feel like that was yet. the case. And also th- there's a real weird interaction between them where Kirk stands up and he's like, Jones. And she's like, my name's Smith, sir. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Why? What was the point of this? I, uh, it was very, very icky yeah, and weird. It like, like it must be a bump, bump moment, but it was just kind of like, that was just odd. Right. Like, you don't know the name of the person who stands behind you all day? Really? <laughs> Even if I don't like them, I'm going to know who they are. <laughs> anyway, so for some reason, this spawns the the lining up of all the department heads. We're just going to stand there for roll call. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They just come out and stand at the back of the bridge. Right? Like, he didn't, he didn't call like, anybody. He didn't do anything. He, I don't, well, it's our standing time. <laughs> <laughs> Hey so guys, we want see, to come hang out of the bridge. I'm on the bridge. You want to hang out? We we see uh, Sulu, Scotty, uh, Doctor Piper, and who's the fourth one? Oh, Doctor Denner. All lined up, waiting for orders. So, uh, as the doctor on this one, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I pardon. No, I go, go ahead. As a doctor on this one, uh, we don't have McCoy yet. We have Doctor Piper, who's played by Paul Fix. Now, from what I've read. Roddenberry really wanted uh, DeForest Kelly to be the doctor for this episode, but it just wasn't possible for the shooting. But he had told Kelly, if it gets picked up, I really want you for the show. I want you to for this role. Um, he really wanted DeForest Kelly actually in the beginning to play Spock. He had had Spock. He had had him read for Spock for the original uh, pilot. And Kelly told him, there's just nothing here to work with as an actor. You're just asking somebody to be kind of a, a flat board, really. Um, Thank God he said no to that. <laughs> and and Roddenberry, uh, when I saw him speak uh, at the university, actually said that caused him to actually go back and really work on Spock as a character because he thought, yeah, that it, any actors looking at this is going to think this isn't this isn't going to be really good. But for it's a stand-in, you cowboy have cowboy making me rewrite my line. <laughs> <laughs> so for your stand-in. For Dr. McCoy, you have Dr. Piper played by Paul Fix. And if you're going to have a stand-in for somebody, holy crud. Paul Fix is, I mean, a guy who basically just worked his entire life. He has 337 acting credits between the years of 1928 and 1981. He was in Giant. He was in Honda. He was in Eldorado. Lots of John Wayne stuff. Lots of Westerns in general. Um, So if you're going to have a guy really stand in just for an episode, Paul Fix is a really good place to go. I know Roddenberry did work on a number of Westerns, so I'm sure they probably had some connection oh, sure. there. But, I uh, mean, that's how you got to know DeForest Kelly, too. Exactly, exactly. So uh, 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, you really have a, that's a pretty high level when you have a guy just stand in for one episode. Right. No kidding. And I mean, poor Kirk, he didn't have a good bartender in that doctor either. I mean, <laughs> Um, (laughs) so, uh, obviously we've got Scotty and Sulu, uh, Sulu for some reason is astro sciences. I'm not really sure what that is. uh, Scotty is of course engineering and, uh, Dr. Piper is life sciences, not, you know, the doctor. Uh, (laughs) And then we get the biggest one of all, I mean, literally, I mean, she's the biggest <laughs> name. She's gigantic. It is Dr. Diener played by Sally Kellerman, mm-hmm. who you might know from the movie mash as hot lips. Houlihan. Oh, Houlihan. Who was nominated for an Oscar and a golden globe for her role as hot lips. Um, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Now I will say that she is super duper tall in this set but she's also wearing heels because everybody was wearing heels on this set. <laughs> um, but she was 5'10", and so that made her look massive. And, of course, all of the men on the bridge, you know, this is <laughs> this is uh, big-name Hollywood guys in, in the 60s, <laughs> so you know they're all like 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> also, she's a space psychologist? What's a space psychologist? <laughs> Another idea that Gene's not going to give up on for 25 years. You know what? When I do my new series, I'm going to have a space psychologist right on the damn bridge. Right. (laughs) So yeah, the department, I did like that again. The department heads all show up. And again, I know I'm calling back to this, but it really calls to me that, that Roddenberry was trying really, really hard to keep this from having too much military aspect, too much uh, military language. But if you're going that way, this really makes it looks like they set up it as a community college and that Jim Kirk is basically your space Dean space Dean. Okay. All right. (laughs) You just want to stick that in there. Don't you? (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just saying that there could be a crossover, (laughs) but I want to be a good space. Dean. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, uh, Kirk's kind of eyeballing everybody, but especially Dr. Diener, uh, who is a very large five ten blonde woman. Who's also <laughs> quite attractive. And Gary Mitchell's like swoop. Hey, what do you say? We, uh, hang out later. Huh? And she's like, yeah, no. And he, he leans into somebody and goes, yeah, she's a walking freezer unit. That's where that's where you we are in the sixties, but that's where you oh. go, right? Yeah, no, it, it couldn't be you, dude. <laughs> couldn't be that you're super slimy. No, 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 no. She's a walking freezer unit. Also, what the, freezer unit? That's the best you can come up with. So I do, in, I do in like the future. The 60s we're going to have to add units, right? The sixties is all about, if you want to talk about the future, you put space in front of it and unit at the end of it. And there you go. That's how you get futuristic stuff. Um, 
Yeah, it uh, well, we I guess we established that Gary Mitchell was probably you know with that line that Gary Mitchell was probably uh, you know in a frat at Starfleet Academy, but uh. Amen. <laughs> All right, so Spock finally cracks the encryption on these tapes, um, which means he played them, and he was like, uh, "Well, I know all the information about the Valiant. You guys want to know?" And they're like, "Well, yeah, all right, tell us. Let me shout it at you." <laughs> For and you, for you in the back. I mean, it's <laughs> you people in the back. <laughs> so, th- this is okay. I have to take something back. This is one of those situations where I have to eat my words because I said in a previous episode when we talked about when the Enterprise meets God that there we don't know anything about the boundary at the edge of the galaxy. Spock is like, hey, guess what? There's a boundary at the edge of the galaxy. And when you leave that boundary, things get weird. When you come back in, things get weird. (laughs) And that's what the Valiant did. So I'm sorry to everybody. I was wrong. They do, in fact, establish that there is some kind of barrier at the edge of the galaxy. Okay, so there's a barrier at the edge of the galaxy. There's a barrier at the center of the galaxy. And, you know, space just seems to have way more barriers than... I really would have thought it's not so much that space is filled with barriers. It's just that space is a donut. <laughs> it's a very large donut and you have to get through the crunchy, crispy exterior of the donut. Finally, you're speaking in language that I can understand. See, it's all about physics for the common man. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock's like, Oh, there's, there's a lot of stuff in here about, ESP or ESPN. I'm not sure which <laughs> they're, they're tapes. They're fried. And Dr. Dieter's immediately like extrasensory perception. That's a fact. And I'm really good at it. Right. <laughs> Where Kirk has to tell her, oh, actually I was asking you what you knew about it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's just so bizarre. Um, I don't know why of all the things they could talk about, they, they settled on ESP as being the big thing, but Hey, uh, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out just what exactly happened to the ship. Uh, Kirk is like, they self-destructed. You mean they blew themselves up? <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that. <laughs> I'm going to write that down on a card. That sounds like a really good strategy. No, that was an option. <laughs> Kobayashi Maru? I don't think so. That's that's right at the point where Mr. Scott says, maybe it's a good idea if I put maybe a triple lock on the (laughs) self-destruct. Oh, man. Answers that great question why Janeway could do it by herself, but Kirk needed two other people to help. Right. (laughs) Well, and and Picard could do it either way, either with a bunch of people or without. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, so they decide, you know, something bad happened. So let's go. <laughs> yes. Okay. I love this logic. Hey, they got blown up at that thing. Let's go. Right. Let's go see. <laughs> I mean, that does set the stage quite a bit for Kirk in the future. Right? <laughs> hey, I heard something really bad happened and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Hmm. <laughs> let's fly in there. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this now? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Okay. So not only are there no seatbelts on the bridge, (laughs) 
there's also a, a peanut gallery. There's also standing room only for some reason. Right? Everybody's just like, ooh, ah. Um, <laughs> I, I did mean, like at least they, they don't have at least folding chairs in the future. <laughs> so Spock, Spock gets all shouty again, looking out the window and he's like, there is nothing on our sensors or our deflectors. And I'm, why, why is he sensing on the deflector? Oh. Wouldn't that deflect? Or oh, do you deflect with the sensors? Here's my favorite line. Deflectors say something's there. Sensors say no. Okay. <clears throat> that to me is much like driving with your eyes closed. I, I, I can't see right. anything, but something keeps on hitting the bumper. <laughs> I just kept waiting for him to be like, captain, I have to confess. I don't know what any of this does. <laughs> Keep pushing buttons, keep pushing buttons. (laughs) (laughs) And and Kirk is just like, keep going. Yeah. Okay, that sounds right. Keep going. (laughs) And so they the the barrier at the edge of the galaxy that is impenetrable, they just once again fly on through it. Now, here's where I am a little vindicated, because if they're just gonna go into the barrier, then why was it a big deal in Star Trek V? Kirk should have been like We've done this, whatever. No, different barrier. This is the barrier on the outer rim. You and your logic. All right, fine. Um, it it did kind of have a weird vibe to it. The special effects were kind of (laughs) strange. Um, I did like the whole uh, purple prince vibe that you know they had going. Kind of, yeah, right. Um, but the remaster, the the ship looks so fake flying through all this the special effects that it was very much like <laughs> yes. like a opening of '90s Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> it's just kind of like had that like uh, not quite ready for prime time computer graphics look. <laughs> now, as they're going through the barrier. If you look in the background of the scene, you can see that Mitchell is holding Doctor or is holding Smith's hand, and <laughs> Smith, no Jones, whatever her name One is, of those. yeah, right. And Scotty is holding Doctor Diener's hands or hand. It's like they, the, oh, we're scared, but it, I, I couldn't tell if it was like supposed to be a solidarity thing or like they were comforting the women. <laughs> Because honestly, it could have gone either way, <laughs> but it was still real weird. <laughs> you know, you know, when women get really, really pliable is when they're in danger. Ugh. Oh, yeah. oh my God. We're all going to die. Hey baby, how you doing? Right. <laughs> that is absolutely Mitchell's move. hundred <laughs> percent. They call so, me Gary. <laughs> Oh, oh my God, we're flying through a barrier. I better grope something. Right. <laughs> so all of a sudden energy starts arcing all over the place because, you know, it's the bridge of the Enterprise and we have to set the stage that if you're on the Enterprise bridge, there's a strong chance you're going to get electrocuted in your face. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this one actually looked pretty good, though. It did not look like they had a bunch of sparklers stuck in there. No, fire actually broke out here. They were really... Blowing some stuff up. I think Gene Roddenberry probably would have been more into the fire aspect than the sparklers. I think the sparklers were there because the execs were like, listen, we got to reuse these things. We can't set everything on fire. And Gene's like, no, no, no. That's how it works. You got to put out fires. 
I like the fact that the energy arcs across the, across the bridge and Jim yells battle stations. <laughs> what? <laughs> who, who are you fighting? What battle are you by electricity? <laughs> attack the electricity. <laughs> well, well, like, I just like saying it. It's right? just like kick to see people run around. <laughs> well, unfortunately now it's time for Kellerman and Mitchell to suddenly go negative. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's a cool effect for the time. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's but it's rarely good news. It's, when, you, no. when you see somebody, when this happens, it's it's usually bad news. Right. And then Spock runs over and throws somebody aside and starts shouting at everybody. <laughs> I know where we're going. <laughs> and, and, and he stays true to his character on the cage. Because remember on the cage when they were like, Spock became in command. What was his first command? We're getting out of here. Right, <laughs> turn around. <laughs> so Spock basically just turns that ship around, like, oh, well, okay, there we go. Exactly. I assume this is where we wanted to go. We're yeah, this is yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they they read out the status after they get out of this thing, and, and we hear nine dead. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Why right? are we doing this again? <laughs> And he's only got what? 250 people on there. That's not great. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what? Uh, nine divided by two fifty. That's a, that's a 4% loss rate. (laughs) He lost 4% of his people on one mission. (laughs) On, on one mission that nobody asked him to do. Right. (laughs) Where he was like, I know a whole lot of people just died right in that spot. So I'm going to go there. Also, I'm going to go through the impenetrable barrier that I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> but, you know, it's, like, it's no, just people. There was there was nobody in this thing that was even like, hey, we should do this. No, it was Jim's like, okay, we're going to do it. Right. I just hope that uh, he never decides to, like, you know, deliver medical supplies to a lonely old man. <laughs> Might get double that amount. <laughs> so, so the ship's a mess. Uh, <laughs> I like Kirk's log. <laughs> uh, well, the ship's not here. Um, I killed nine people. <laughs> and, and now my best friend has silver eyes. <laughs> but yeah, so Gary has the silver eyes and we're like, that's really, really weird. And so after all this is done, nine people are dead. Gary Mitchell's in the, in the uh, sick bay. And as you said, Jim's, Jim's whole thing is now the most pressing question is what happened to the Valiant? No, the breast, the most pressing question is how do you report this to Starfleet right. command? <laughs> the most pressing question is how are you going to break this news to all their families? <laughs> you insensitive Jerk. <laughs> let's let's start with the obvious question, Jim. Who told you to do that? Right. <laughs> I think the real question that we have to ask ourselves now is who's taking over for this absolute <laughs> That's um, why Spock stuck around so long it's so long. He was sure he was gonna get that job eventually. Right. <laughs> I don't know. So after working for Pike, he's like, okay, after working for Chris Pike, I'm working for this idiot. Oh, the ship's gonna be mine in a month. 
right? I mean, Pike might have been an insufferable drunk, but at least he <laughs> paid attention. So uh, Smith is once again just standing there doing nothing. She just hangs around on the bridge while everybody else is like, ah, I'm dying. Oh, I got to fix this. She's like, doop do standing because that's my job. I get to stand here. <laughs> was she the security guard? I, no, because she was holding a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she was the pollster. Oh, okay, yeah. right, yeah, she pollster. Okay. Excuse me. After a mission like this, could you tell me how does it make you feel? And, and if you had to tell, if you were asking your friends if they wanted to have a future in Starfleet, how would you rate that decision? On one through ten. <laughs> Okay. Would you say you were very happy with the warp engines? <laughs> Somewhat happy with the warp engines? Not happy with the warp engines? Scotty's in the background like, don't answer that! <laughs> so Spock is basically looking up and figuring out, you know, okay, we figured out that the people who who all died or got zapped have some sort of ESPA, ESP power. Um yeah. And only two of them survive, which is, of course, Dr. Daner and Gary Mitchell. Also, I'd like to point out that he's researching the crew on a tiny little microfish. It's <laughs> <laughs> on a, an arm in front of him. Again, the, the Federation keeps its records by putting everything on paper, then taking pictures <laughs> of those pieces of paper. It's incredibly then, wasteful, but they are somewhat of a military organization. So, you know, things, you well, know. And this explains a lot, though. There's only 250 people on this ship. The reason there's only 250 people on this ship is because half of the ship is carrying around film and tapes. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good stuff. Hey, I want to research something from 200 years ago. You know, there's some poor bastard in the back of the ship like, ah, I'll load the film. Let me go find it. I'm trying to imagine just the, uh, the quarters for the uh, card catalog. Just had to be immense. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Daner has a very, very strange, and she'll continue to have a very, very strange reaction when they start talking about ESP. Yeah, she's a little too quick to to defend it, I think, and be <laughs> like really viciously in defense of it. <laughs> Which I find funny considering what we know about Spock from later uh, later shows <laughs> is that you know he's sitting there like, yeah. I, I might know a thing or two about a thing or two. <laughs> and he's just like, no, this is dangerous. This is really, really dangerous. This is super, <laughs> super dangerous. And all I can think of you racist, you know, no, it's fine when we do it, but when you do it, it's dangerous. Listen, he hadn't learned how to mind meld yet. He'll get there. <laughs> um, so then we get Jim talking to Gary so and now we're in sickbay, which one thing yes. I just want to jump in here. This is the only set that was actually built for this episode. So they built this one fresh for this episode? Yeah. Sickbay was not yeah. in the cage, so this was an original, which might explain why it is the horrible, sickening green color that it is. <laughs> well, I mean, hospitals are, are horrible, sickening green colors, so maybe that's why. It was yeah. hospital green. I, I it know. Was, it was no seam green. <laughs> I'm really beginning to understand why uh, Leonard McCoy hung up uh, uh, framed surgical instruments everywhere just to try to, you know, break up that whole horrible color scheme. Well, either that or he was like, someday I'm going to need to let a superhuman escape. How can I do that? Subtly. Um, 
Gary's laying in bed looking like he is high as a kite <laughs> and he's got silver eyes. Now we, we should take a moment here to talk about these silver eyes. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. This poor bastard. He is wearing contacts. So it's a contact lens. Then to make it sparkly, they put a little tiny piece of tin foil on the hard contact lens and then took another hard contact lens and layered it on top of that. So he's wearing a contact lens sandwich. Yeah. With sharp pieces of aluminum in it. (laughs) And they're like, hey, let's cram this in your eye. (laughs) So apparently the hole that they cut in the middle of the tin foil was just out of alignment enough that the only way he could see was by tilting his head back, which apparently they really liked because it gave him this real air of being very egotistical and very smug. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that kind of works. When the truth is he couldn't see. (laughs) (laughs) It's real good stuff. The the fact that he kept his screaming down to a bare minimum. (laughs) 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 And cut. Ah! Ah! Action. All right, I'm ready to go. (laughs) Now let's give Gary a few more minutes of screaming time. (laughs) Um. So yeah, and then he he decides to start doing research by looking at his own private microfish station, which is awesome. I, that's a hospital, right? I, <laughs> I never had a hospital with a microfish station, and I live in the future. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, uh, you you put something on here about the eyes staring back at him while shaving. Cause he talks about how, when he looks in the mirrors, he sees the eyes staring back at him, which <laughs> I see eyes staring back at me. When I look in the mirror, <laughs> I, I just assume everybody does. You know, it's a very odd line. It is right. Just, <laughs> I think he was trying to maybe give the in- impression that it was somebody else's eyes looking back at him, but it didn't I, come off that way. The line was very know. clumsy. Now, don't get me wrong. If I looked in the mirror and I saw, you know, aluminum foil eyes staring back at me, I'd be a little freaked out, but <laughs> I don't think that's what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary is starting to do the whole for any, any watchers of the, of lower decks who have not watched, the original series that much just so you know this is the original strange energies oh yeah this is where it all begins um so jim goes down and jim and gary uh recount their their friendship together and gary reveals to jim that uh he was having a hard time in jim's class when he was taking the class back at the academy so he um got Jim interested in a little blonde lab technician so that Jim would ease up on his uh, teaching duties. Mm-hmm. So of course, many people theorize that the little blonde lab technician would have been Carol Marcus because Jim says, I almost married her. And we all know that's the Carol true. Marcus story. So we're going to, we're going to um, assume that that's a connection, but I'm sorry. That's, that doesn't blow my mind. What blows my mind is, Jim Kirk was a teacher. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> like and, if there's anybody you should not let around, you know, <laughs> cadets, <laughs> young Jim Kirk. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think we have enough to kick him out of Starfleet. What if we give him a really old ship? 
There you and go. Just send them out someplace. Tell them, tell them five years. Tell them go for five years. <laughs> who who has like come it. back that we have told to do that? Pike? And let's make Once. sure there's a file in his computer that says, don't go through the barrier at the edge of the universe. <laughs> Barrier's bad. Right. You just need that written on a card, stuffed in your pocket. Barrier's bad. So Gary's like, let me out of sick bay, please. Can I, can I, can I please leave? Jim says, no. And so Gary has to get boomy and echoey. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you have lots of power, yeah, your voice does reverb. (laughs) That's a good sign, right? When somebody's got a lot of reverb. (laughs) Again, rarely, rarely a good sign. Usually something bad's going to (laughs) happen. So Gary starts reading really, really fast. <laughs> and all I could think is Jim's like, oh, I know this isn't the Gary I know. He's dyslexic. <laughs> and Data sees all this and is like, hold my beer. <laughs> all right. So now we have to start our love story. It's Gary and Sally time. So Gary is uh, checked out by... Uh, by Dr. Piper and by Dr. Piper tells him, man, there's nothing wrong with absolutely nothing wrong with you, which again is usually a really bad indicator that right. when people are too healthy, Leonard would pick up on this immediately. No, Seriously. there's something wrong with you. Oh, bones would totally be like, listen, you just got hit by a bolt of lightning out of the computer console. No, I'm not putting you back on duty. <laughs> We're going to check you out for a little bit longer. I know you feel good. I don't care. Ah. I, I also think that somewhere down Leonard had a real insecurity about his jobs, his job security. Cause anytime That's people true. are too healthy is like, oh, no, 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 you're not going to tell me that you don't need a doctor. That's not how this works. <laughs> you feel really good. May I suggest you drink this? <laughs> no, I didn't just laugh about that. No. <laughs> so Gary has to go see Sally cause she's the chief head shrinker. And she's like hey um how do how do i know that you're okay and he's like oh yeah check out this and he points up at the the monitors and all the monitors go green and he's like see i'm fine (laughs) she's like wait a minute hey hold on a second i now have ultimate power over medical diagnostic equipment (laughs) (laughs) he's like hey want to see something really cool i'm dead and she's like, oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> Wait a minute. He sits up and he's like, hey, not dead. Uh-huh. I really like how she says you were almost dead for 22 seconds. You were counting? Right. Was there a clock there? What? 22 seconds. Where, where do you come up with 22 seconds? <laughs> now, I will say, though, the scene where he wakes up from being, quote, unquote, dead, they do a lot of, like, you know, real touching zoom ins on his eyes and her eyes. And his look like they hurt so bad. Oh, I know. Oh, God. Oh, they're just red rimmed and just inflamed. Oh, God. It just had to be so painful. It's no wonder he wanted to swat them all like flies. Right? My You're making me hard. wear this crap. <laughs> Ugh. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> they. Uh, uh, oh, so then he says something, or he starts quoting poetry. 
Yeah, because she wants to test him. Is like, you read all this? Okay, read this particular one, page 300, line two. Yeah. Rattles off some romantic poetry. Well, and... Which is the difference between Star Trek and Star Trek Next Generation, because you know it would have been Shakespeare in Next Generation. Totally. And that's the thing, right? Is it... Everybody's got to have these these crazy amounts of classical literature knowledge if you're going to be in Star Trek. And you know what? That that even goes on to this day in the most modern shows. They still go back to classic literature and it's like, well, of course you know that. Why? It's a thousand <laughs> years ago. Why do you know that? I oh, That always just bugs me. Nope. They're still going to be making kids... Read Moby Dick then. They will. It will right. happen. Um <clears throat> just like we've well, we do read some books for now. Never mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that take that back. I'm gonna pretend <laughs> I never said that because it was extremely stupid. They uh so there's a, a new conversation about how we're gonna get the engine going because the engine has all kinds of stuff that's burnt out. Like, for instance, the points have almost turned to lead. <laughs> yeah, so Lee shows up. Lee shows up just to say hi. Right. And Gary goes off on him. (laughs) Tells him, is like, yeah, you know that that inspection work you just did? You better go do it again. Right. Because I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be great to have somebody on the ship who's like, "Um, I am able to sense that things are out of alignment. You better go fix that. So Gary's power just in the few minutes we've been watching have expanded from ultimate power and control over medical diagnostic devices to now the ultimate expression of quality analysis. I like it. Just in a couple of minutes. I got it. And next thing you know, he might, he might be able to do troubleshooting. Real time. <laughs> so the, we find out the enterprise does not have electronic timing. Oh. <laughs> uh, Cause you know, I got to check the points. <laughs> I, I got to wonder if they were like, you know, uh, let's, do we have a mechanic? Is anybody, is anybody good with cars or ships or something? Can we need something to say here? Oh, uh, you know what? My problem always is, is the points, especially, <laughs> especially if the battery has a problem. Oh man. Foul those points. You know what I'm saying? I could, I couldn't help but have a mental image of Scotty reaching way, way past, you know, a, a console into a very small hole and like turning the distributor. Right. <laughs> Do you have one of those off angle wrenches? I'm going to need one. <laughs> <laughs> right, maybe we've worked on too many old cars. <laughs> oh, I so, don't know. We've worked on too many old cars. <laughs> I did find it interesting that when he quoted poetry, he he chose a poem that was 19, the date was 1996. Now, this seems to be some kind of weird date in Gene Roddenberry's head. He, for some reason, in many different scripts, the year 1996 comes up. And that's the year that the... Um, uh, that Khan and the super soldiers uh, took over the world. So I just, there's something really weird about that. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to dig deeper into that and see where else it comes up. Cause, uh, cause it seems, I mean, you and I were, we had just started working for a large telecommunications company in 1996. Mm-hmm. And it seems uh, like we would have been aware of something like this going on. I mean, I knew there was definitely something going on. Uh, <laughs> 
I just didn't know what would result in all of this. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, my manager's name was Khan. Should that be something of concern? <laughs> oh, wait, no. Um, so anyway, everybody's like, this guy's freaky. <laughs> yeah, okay. We all have the meeting. I can just see the invitation in the meeting. It's like, you know, <laughs> re Gary Mitchell, this guy freaks us all out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and also i like that scott's like yeah things aren't working and i was watching gary and he smiled (laughs) so we this this, we're in danger yeah right (laughs) i don't know i i do like that that spock does the same thing right he's (laughs) <laughs> he's a witch and levers moving and Spock's like he's smiling <laughs> and of course Sally is his biggest defender oh good lord she goes she goes leave Brittany alone so quickly on this man I mean oh. she just completely you don't understand you you just he's and the look on Kirk's face is like oh god they're sleeping together right <laughs> I don't know. My favorite quote is a mutated superior man could also be a wonderful thing. Okay. Now how controversial would that be to say in the Federation at this particular time? Well, anytime. I mean, it was controversial when my wife said it in her vows. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) the fact that she's looking back that all we know about augments in the Federation, she says this. Now the blank stares they all give her make way more sense. They're all right. like, whoa, what did you just say? Right. <laughs> you know, Dude. that's not cool, right? We don't talk about those things, right? Look, we've talked about this, Sally. No su- no mutated supermen. No eugenics. It's not happening. She's just reading. stop. She's been reading those brochures from Xavier's school for the gifted in upstate New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> Propaganda. So, Anyway, so Spock is like, hey, um, have you guys considered the idea of, I don't know, killing this guy? (laughs) This seems like a really good idea. Because it seems kind of obvious and nobody's bringing it up. So um... (laughs) (laughs) Um, now you you put something down here that I thought was kind of interesting that um, Spock says we can't understand and we we can't cope with the powers he's going to obtain. But what he actually says is he will obtain powers. We can't understand. We can't. <laughs> it, it reminded me of the, the, the girl in, uh, uh, singing in the rain. Oh yes. When she keeps <laughs> looking away from the mic and she's like, I can't stand him. I can't stand him. <laughs> it totally. Oh, so good. Um, it, it was one of those things that looking back at it is like, okay, obviously Leonard's still working on this character. <laughs> He's like, listen here, bub, here's what we're going to do. All right. Uh, so the, it, then the idea is like, well, we can't kill him, but what if we just like dump him on a planet? That'd be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. So Delta uh, Vega, he mentions Delta Vega, which, does come up again in Star Trek. Delta Vega is going to be uh, mentioned again. <clears throat> For some reason, Delta Vega is going to be shown on the tactical situation monitors in both yesterday's Enterprise um, and also on Robert Maxwell's Phoenix and the next e- generation opus- episode, The Wounded. So hmm. for some reason, 
Delta Vega is a thing. Um, also in the universe that should not be named, but is Kelvin. Um, a scene that was cut out from that was actually Nero mentioning that his ship had just been mining near Delta Vega when the Romulan planet was Ugh. destroyed. Yeah. <coughs> Great. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks for referencing that. Right. Um, so, All right, so they're, they want to go to Delta Vega, which is a mining colony. And um, for some reason it's uh, somewhere near the edge of the galaxy, maybe. Yeah. Just, in, uh, just inside. Uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but that's a lithium mine. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and Spock is just really beating the drum. You know what you should do? You should probably kill him. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you know what would be a good idea? You should probably kill Gary. We, why don't we do it on the way to Delta Vega? That way everybody wins. <laughs> yes. right. I mean, and if we're going to go that like, route, why not just throw him into an airlock? Right. I mean, it is, it is a very different conversation than we're used to, right? Cause I mean, normally Star Trek is, is very level headed and it's very much a, listen, everybody's got the right to live. Everybody's got the, the right to, to be who they want to be, blah, 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 blah. And to have something like this where it's, you know, listen, this guy is super powerful. We may not have a choice. This may be the only thing we can do. Cause I mean, if you throw him on a mining colony, he's just going to be picked up by other people. <laughs> But I think Spock's got a plan in his head because he's like, no, no, let's put him on a lithium planet. <laughs> yeah, for no reason whatsoever. Just, you know, put him there. It's got parts. It's got parts we need and we can right. dump him there. It's win-win. Now, Delta Vega, they show up on 1313.1. Like, you know, the monster's house. <laughs> and, uh, and Spock is basically it's like, are you going to kill Gary? When are you going to kill Gary? Why aren't you killing Gary right now? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I, and I think it's pretty obvious they should kill Gary because he starts levitating cups and crap. <laughs> I did think that the cup looked a lot like it was probably from the Desilu commissary. Uh, <laughs> yes. He mentions, I'm thirsty. I do love the fact that. Sick Bay just has one particular water spout just affixed on the wall. Nothing near it. Nothing else around. Dude, I, you know what though? I love that about the original series, right? So many of the props that come out or of things coming out of walls are, are so much like, Hey, we need a reason for there to be a lever. All right. Just poke a hole right over there. <laughs> Jam a lever in there. Oh, I need a water spout. Drill a hole there. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I gotta think they had this like giant piece of gray plywood that they used for all of those scenes. <laughs> they just cut a hole in it, hold it in front of the camera for a sec, and the guy walks up. <laughs> all right, we're good. The beauty cut. you got here on this whole blank wall surface is you're gonna be able to do anything you want with this. Yeah, you you could Listen, put a water spout right in the middle there, be no it's problem. All about flexibility, you know what I'm saying? Flexibility. <laughs> that's what this that's what Starfleet is all about. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I, and Spock is one of those people who he's got such psychic abilities. He's trained himself to block out other people's thoughts. And yet, <laughs> and, and Gary knows immediately when they come down, Spock wants to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk turns around. You couldn't think that quietly. 
<laughs> you know, you know, Kirk was like, yeah, I saw it too. <laughs> <laughs> I so do like, Gary's, but, I mean, he's committing to the bit because Kirk, Elizabeth Daner and Spock all walk in and Spock is the only one strapped. Right. He's got a gun on him. It's like, he's yeah, like, getting near that guy without a gun. No reason. <laughs> <laughs> I like guns. Is there a problem with that? So Gary, of course, decides, you know, the only recourse to them threatening to kill you because of your all powerfulness and the fact that you might want to hurt people is to um, hurt people. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he starts, uh, what, what did he do to the first guy? Uh, well, he starts, he starts making, cause the, Jim asks him, well, well, what would you, what would you do in my place? And he gets up and he starts talking about, well, you know, well, first of all, also, I want to point out one thing I really like about this scene is that Elizabeth Daner has found the old enterprise doctor's mini bar and is carrying that, <laughs> which right. I have no idea why, but it's just like, she just walks in with a mini bar on her, on her arm. And it's just like, okay, that's, I guess if they're going to deal with all of these yeah. guys crap and them hitting on me all the time. I'm going to be drunk. <laughs> My my theory is, Captain, that while he may be almost omniscient, he can't handle his booze. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do also like that when he when he starts looking around the the bridge, the reflections are hitting him in such weird ways on those contacts, and he looks cross eyed beyond belief. <laughs> I I really like in this scene that he gets up and starts doing his thing, and as soon as he mentions what would a god, he says the word God. That's exactly when Kirk hits him in the kidneys. <laughs> Right. I mean, if, if one of your best friends stands up and declares himself a God, you should hit him in the kidneys immediately. Um, I don't know, uh, but I do find it interesting though, that this guy who is all powerful has read Spock's thoughts, can do telekinesis. He can shoot lightning and he's like, is there somebody behind me? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see Kirk walk up behind me. I don't know. And so now he's knocked out. So they're going to take him down to the planet. And the only way you can take somebody down to the planet is with a transporter. <laughs> and the great things about transporters is, in this day and age, even when you're unconscious, you'll still somehow be able to stand up in one. Right. I. You know what? I love that about these old shows, though. That there's always a reason to have somebody stand up unconscious. <laughs> The cowboy movies did it too. Like you just <laughs> hold the guy up and he'd stand there all limp for a second. It's like, I, I, I have a hard time standing up normally. I can't imagine <laughs> if I was unconscious. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's cause his knees locked. That must be it. <laughs> Ooh, that was lucky. <laughs> and now Scotty's transport chief again, but this time. It must be night because he's wearing his PJs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like his, his the assistant he has in the green pajamas. That's his like, oh man, how come those didn't? Oh, make that's it right, it's back? that guy that's wearing them. Not Scotty. That's right. <laughs> uh, but he, he's <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of looks at Scotty like, oh wow, check that out. <laughs> he just takes off. <laughs> Great job. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they they get down to the the planet. And uh, they, they got to figure out what to do next. For some reason, Lee's there. I don't know why he's there. <laughs> okay, it was a little confusing because he mentions that Lee is going to be doing all this work. So this is before they've established the roles of everybody. So the only thing I can guess is, once again, Scotty has kind of farm, farmed out his work to somebody else somehow. 
Because mm-hmm. Scotty's the head of engineering, but for some reason, Lee is in charge of this whole thing. Okay, so is Scotty the head of engineering, or is Scotty just a transport chief? And the previous episode, we make him previous next episode. He did show up as one of the department heads. Oh, that's true. He did. Uh, and Which he is, was the head of engineering. You're right. And you're it's right. going to be really, really weird, though, because he's going to be sitting in Gary's chair in the very last scene of this show. Yeah, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> and okay, I'm, also, I am a little bit sketchy also about if Lee was the helmsman or if Gary was the helmsman. Yeah, that makes no sense either. <laughs> also, why is Lee on the planet in the first place? I think is a valuable thing to ask because the omniscient being was not supposed to know anybody was going to the planet. <laughs> so Lee went ahead of them. I, what? Yeah. I think Lee went ahead with the engineering cause they had to grab all the equipment they wanted to steal to try to fix the enterprise. Yeah, that must be it. I don't know. Um, and then the, they go and put him in the brig, the brig, the brig that exists on a planet where nobody lives and nobody's planning to live in. Or ever will live. It's, it has you know jail. what it is? It's for if you sell alcohol to minors. <laughs> <Ba-dum-bum>. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so I did like that they put him in and they got, they clearly put up a force field and there was the nice electric hum. It was actually pretty cool. Uh, I also really liked that, that they made a point of it being a force field. This sets a tone for Briggs Heck for yeah. Star Trek. They all have force fields because uh, his bars are just gauche that's true (laughs) now they go around and start just tearing everything up and i was it to set a bomb like is that what they're doing so what they're doing is they're getting components to revitalize the engines of the enterprise but while they're down there kirk asks lee hey if i have to blow everything up how could i do that you remember that self-destruct thing we talked about <laughs> earlier? You think you could do that for me? <laughs> and then uh, Gary's like, Kirk, come on, man. You know that I I almost died just, just for you. <laughs> Why are you so afraid of me now? And Kirk's like, screw you, man. You broke my ship. He's <laughs> like, dude, you're messing with my ship. Gary seems like he's all trying to be human and trying to be conflicted. And it just, I gotta be honest at this point, it didn't really float. (laughs) Well, they did do that thing that, that shows like to do anytime somebody gets a bunch of power at some point, the person just momentarily is going to lose that power and look like themselves again. So it can increase your conflict when you actually have to kill them. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. Ugh. And they'll do that twice in this. They're, they're going to do it in the gym because he goes and throws himself against the uh, against the force field and yep. gets blown back. And then he his eyes go back to normal and they're like, oh, we can handle him. And then they go back to silver. Um, so it's that that little bit of like, no, he really is a human being. We're remembering the person he was. Well, Spock yeah. isn't because Spock's standing there with a gun, but you know. No, no, Spock's got the gun that looks like an, <laughs> an industrial cement mixer. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> he has to use two hands to shoot the thing. <laughs> he's like, seriously, I kill do, him. <laughs> yeah, I do love it. It's like, hey, yeah, did they? we get the big gun we sent down? I, I didn't order a big gun. And Spock <laughs> walks into the room with a big gun. Right. <laughs> Nothing to see here. 
I thought I might be able to use this to kill him. It might be easier to kill him with a big gun. I brought a big gun because I think we're going to have to kill him. Are you getting the point? <laughs> right? Nobody's listening. Um, Scotty manages to uh, to fit one of the consoles they stole from the planet onto the ship, which I found very interesting considering, you know, they don't even have the same plugs. It's <laughs> Scotty's like, yeah, they do. In the future, basically all starships and mining facilities are going to have interchangeable parts. That's true. Uh, no matter what species either. <laughs> Jordy taught us that. <laughs> Everything's got an interface for everything. You go, uh, around, you, you go around the universe with a galaxy with a, a multimeter and you're, you're pretty much set. You're going to be okay. <laughs> a towel and a multimeter. You are set. I like that. I like that. Scotty's book is my multimeter and me. <laughs> <laughs> So basically at this point, they're like, "Ah, I think we're going to just have to blow up this planet. And (laughs) he's like, "Um, I'm going to (laughs) go. You guys have fun with that, but I'm out. Yeah. I love that's That's a, that's Kirk's fallback. I don't want to kill my best friend. What if I just blow us all up? I don't know. And Kirk's like, you know what? Um, Let's uh, actually, one, one thing that I wanted to point out here is while all the engineers are bugging out, what was really cool is all the engineers have old style wooden toolboxes that are all stained dark brown. <laughs> it just makes me so happy because <laughs> like they're supposed to be hundreds of years in the future. And they're like, well, you know, I really like my grandfather's toolbox. So I'm going to keep all my equipment in there. Well, when you have replicators, the things you do keep are basically for sentimental value. So. That's true. That's true. They don't have replicators. They still have a galley. Yeah, and, that's true. And are you going to tell me that they intentionally replicated all these beige uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk's like, you know what? We got to get out of here. And Sally's like, um, maybe not. I think I'll stay. It's like, um, uh, without even asking, is there plumbing on this planet? Food, right? Anything of that nature. <laughs> So Lee's about to get out of there and all of a sudden Gary starts thinking really hard again. And unfortunately he snake charms a cord and it kills Lee. Poor Lee. And Lee was, this is disappointing because I like Paul Carr as an actor. Um, Yeah. And when you see him and I was like, Oh, that guy's going to be on, I know that actor. He's going to be on the show for a long time. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Which is weird. Uh, so Paul Carr was, he was a, uh, an actor who was in over a hundred stage shows. He was in the $6 million man, uh, in 1978, which I can say was a really good year for me. Uh, that made him one of two actors from the Star Trek franchise to appear in the $6 million man. The other one being John Delancey. That's right. Q oh, that's right. was on the $6 million man. Um, who of course was in many episodes of next gen. Uh, actually, uh, Shatner was in an episode also. I just saw a picture of that today. Of Six Million Dollar Man? Yeah. Saw a picture Ooh. of him and Majors together. Um, is that right? Six well, they were million. together on set. I assumed it was Six Million Dollar Man just from the, the outfit that... Uh, <clears throat> yep. Guest star William Shatner and producer Harv Bennett. Yes. Oh. Yeah. The That's, episode was called Burning Bright. I got bad info. Good catch. Um, so Gary's like, hey, you know what? You should have listened to Spock. 
You should have killed me when you had the chance. <laughs> Come on, James. <laughs> I always love, that's always one of my favorite lines. Magneto pulls it off in an X-Men movie too. You should have killed me when you had the chance. It's like, boy, that's, that's calling somebody stupid and coward at the same time. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And then for some reason now Sally's a God. <laughs> She's like, Hey, guess what? <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing. Gary escapes. He knocks out the doctor, uh, Dr. Piper, mm-hmm. who, as you pointed out, was probably just sleeping in off in another room. Right. <laughs> he knocks out Kirk. He even knocks out Spock, but he killed Lee. Yeah. The guy he sat next to at work. Well, okay, so let's be honest. This is a performance review. The fact of the matter is, is he was Lee's supervisor and he felt that Lee was doing shoddy work trying to restore the points on the Enterprise. <laughs> so he had to make him pay. It all makes sense if you just watch the show. <laughs> I don't know how I could have missed it. Right? <laughs> so we don't want to wake up Spock. <laughs> because Jim really doesn't want to hear him say, I told you so a thousand times. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Kirk's like, listen, um, if I'm not back in 12 hours, <laughs> just, you know, come on back and blow this place up. It's fine. Okay. Now two things about this. First of all, I love when he asks Dr. Piper, do you know where they went? And Dr. Piper's like, oh yeah, it was early in the morning. They went by these mountains over to this one side. And he turns into Google maps all of a sudden. There's right. a plane just beyond that. Wait, what? <laughs> Um, listen if you come across the 76 station you've gone too far <laughs> second thing is why aren't you just leaving now yeah why, why aren't you just he tells he tells mark piper hey if i don't come back in 12 hours come back and irradiate the planet why aren't you just leaving on the ship right now until you starfleet go back and irradiate that planet or just you know come go to your ship and blow this place up you know it's a lithium mine you can blow it up oh yeah so I'm only guessing that this is just Jim really thinking that he's going to give Gary one more chance. Also, more importantly, why is there a big giant handle on the back of that rifle? <laughs> That's not how you hold a rifle. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Um, so Gary's not very nice as a God either. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I did like this part because I read a uh, a short interview with Sally Kellerman about this episode, and she said she really enjoyed the shoot. Um, she said that the uh, the um, context didn't affect her as bad as they did uh, uh, Lockwood, but that she found it odd that they were walking around running into things because they couldn't see too well, and she kept waiting for somebody to say cut, and nobody ever did. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And I guess uh, there's a scene where uh, uh, Gary creates these uh, Kafarian apples because, you know, everything has to have a planet name in front of it because right. it's space. It's space but, pairs. Perforated <laughs> oh, uh, uh, one space pair unit. Sorry. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> right. That's what you got to have. But I guess he completely lost it when uh, he was supposed to have one of these uh, uh, pieces of fruit and they're supposed to perforate it so he could rip it open with his hands and they gave him the wrong one. 
And she said she was laughing as he kept on trying to rip open the fruit and he was not happy about it. I'll bet. You can't see. You give me the wrong crap. And now she's laughing at me. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the I thought it was kind of weird. They were still wearing their crappy clothes. Like, oh, you, know, you got yes. crazy godlike powers. Come on. I can tell you from just playing Grand Theft Auto, I would have changed clothes at least four or five times by now. Right. And their, their paradise that they made for themselves is like a tree and a, and like not even a tree. It's a bush uh, and, and a bunch of crappy flowers. And uh, yeah, you have the powers of a God who needs a decorator. Right. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing was just really weird, but now it's time to get some action because, you know, we're three quarters yes. of the way through the thing. So Kirk comes up on, on the God couple mm-hmm. and, uh, and Dr. Daner goes out there to explain to him. Cause he's just now is like, Oh geez, you got silver eyes too, which I'm the only thing I can think of. The reason he's out there is he thought that Daner had been kidnapped. So this has got to be know. a kick in the cojones when he shows up and it's like, Oh geez. <laughs> I can, no. I can only hope Stockholm that maybe that was it, but he just did not have any good sense at all in this. I don't know. It's just really weird. Um, but you know, she's like, you know, no, 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 no. Leave him alone. Don't, don't mess with him. He's real mad. You just, <laughs> just walk away. And Kirk's like, uh-uh. <laughs> so he decides to climb over rocks. <laughs> which, which I love that we're going to establish this early in the franchise that Captain Kirk is not very light on his feet or very agile. <laughs> Seriously. He's always knocking stuff over and giving up his position. Um, I do love the scene, though, uh, of him knocking over the uh, the rock because uh, I later read it. The director was uh, talking about the set and how much they really did not like styrofoam because anytime they'd move past, the actors had moved past it, pieces would flake off. And there were constant crunching and squeaking noises when they <laughs> And so there's that one scene where Jim moves in between the the two cliffs that are close to get there. And I just imagine they cut it immediately. He's like, I can just imagine that. Right. And like, as soon as he moves through, he's got all kinds of little balls of styrofoam stuck to his back. Like, it's just got to be awful. I don't know. But Gary immediately notices he's there because he's tripped over the rocks and he starts talking in his booming <laughs> voice again. Because if I hadn't given you the cult leader vibe yet, I really wanted to nail that. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't understand the point of, of the whole godlike thing. I, if, if I suddenly had godlike powers, I'd be like, you know, I'm going to pay off everybody's debt. <laughs> and I'm going to make myself handsome. <laughs> Like, that's really all I want out of this. Yeah. Be a nice car. I don't know. <laughs> Real Dominion just sounds like a lot more work than I really want to put into it. I don't care how much godlike power I have. Seriously, why would you want the headache of ruling? <laughs> and thing is, why does this happen to all the people? Okay, so the question is, do all people who get these sort of powers go megalomaniac? Or, pardon me, or... Do we only hear about the ones that do because the ones that are really good and just do it to improve their own life, they go off and live their own thing. We never know anything about it. 
That's true. That's I, I like that that uh, that concept. For every Zeus in the world, there's a Jim who's like, no, no, I'm good. I made myself a really nice cabin, and it's got a river that's constantly stocked with fish. I'm happy. I am Doug, God of nice lawns. <laughs> Listen, once a year, I get a blue ribbon for my flowers. I'm happy. <laughs> so. Kirk goes tries to go back to his uh, his greatest hits and basically tries to uh, charm Doctor Daner into uh, you know your boyfriend isn't that cool. Yeah, I I, I don't understand the conflict to be honest. It, it really he, a minute ago he was like let's just blow it up and call it a day, and yes. now he, he's all conflicted about whether or not he should do something with these people. I ugh, I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I as soon as I saw Sally's silver eyes, I just was said, "Oh, you know what? I left something back at right. the mine. I will be right back." And I would have been oh, out. Sally, uh, you forgot your phone. Uh, that's all. <laughs> I, I'm going. Thanks. Um, yeah, I gotta go catch a thing. <laughs> so then Kirk's gonna get in a fight, and the only way he's gonna get in a fight is to do something that we all know and love. It's the Kirk roll. <laughs> he's going to do his little roll and then he's going to fire. And this time it's fireworks. He's got the big gun. It's not, I mean, it's a paint mixer, but still. <laughs> yeah. It does nothing to Gary. Your, your gun does nothing to gods. Right. And then Gary does something that's really, really creepy. He's like, Hey, uh, look over there. See that? <laughs> that's your headstone. That's your grave. I, I was just watching uh, a Christmas Carol, and you know, there's this whole scene in it where Scape Scrooge. He's like, really, really got to me. So I'm, I'm remaking that here. <laughs> now, it is important to point out the headstone does not say James Tiberius Kirk. It says I, James R. Kirk. Right, James, really big jerk. Kirk, I don't know. Maybe Gary was just screwing with it. <laughs> now, there is something in the novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which Ronberry writes this forward that's supposed to be written by Kirk. And he actually addresses the whole Tiberius thing and talks about how embarrassing, how embarrassed he was by his middle name for a long time. So I'm just going to guess that during his early years in his, his academy years, he lied about his middle name. Mm. So back then he was going by James uh, Ronaldo Kirk. That sounds perfect. Right. <laughs> James Rayman Kirk. <laughs> All right. So Gary goes, uh, morals are for men, not gods. And I mean, that's a pretty badass line actually. <laughs> 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 and then he goes, he goes really cult leader and does the whole bow before Gary. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> that's, that's not cool, man. <laughs> you realize you've kind of jumped the shark and the whole God thing at this point. Right, Gary? Right. Exactly. <laughs> but when he went now, here's the thing though. But when he makes Jim get down on his knees and pray to him, that's when his girlfriend has had enough. That's when Sally Kellerman goes, okay, this is a bit too much for me. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, and of course she's like, all right, no, that's too far. So now Jim gets his chance and he's going to go beat up or beat up Gary. And 
I, I mean, yeah, you can't help but root for it at this point until, you know, Kirk's shirt rips. <laughs> Cause that's what we do. <laughs> this is officially the first torn Kirk shirt of the entire franchise. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. There'll be more. It's and amazing then, how it, it rips almost the exact same pattern that his other shirts will rip in f- future episodes. Right. It's weird how that happens. And then he absolutely a hundred percent punches Gary in the nards. <laughs> he's, he's going in for a, a gut punch. Nope. Those stunt men punched each other right in the face. <laughs> it was some good stuff right there, man. And, uh, <laughs> So Shatner said he he thought that the fist fight was actually the thing that sold NBC. He's probably right. Those guys were like, you know, my favorite part about the Westerns isn't the guns. It's when all the stunt guys punch each other. (laughs) That's entertainment. Right. And then the doctor, she's just kind of like rolling around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a bit confusing that, that Gary could get up and fight, but uh, she just kind of writhed around on the ground for a while. Yeah, it was kind of weird. You know, Kirk was like, I kind of wish Spock was here. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wish I'd woken up Spock. Right. (laughs) So then we pan back and, you know, they're going to fight some more. And that's the point when we realize, hey, wait a minute. Those aren't aren't the same guys. (laughs) This this is going to start another really, really, really long-standing tradition of stuntmen who look nothing like Chapman. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Um, These guys are terrible matches for both guys, actually. They're they're shorter, broader, and they have different color hair, different color skin. (laughs) It's just weird. It's kind of one of those things that you almost expect to have the camera roll over and see uh, Gary and Kirk watching them, watching those guys (laughs) fight, you know? Baseball style. (laughs) (laughs) So for some reason, Sally dies. Yeah. I'm not really sure why it wasn't clear. Broken heart. Oh, (laughs) phenomenal. Godlike powers. (laughs) But here's broken heart. Here's the thing. How Gary dies. Uh, he, Kim and Kirk roll into the grave that Gary had made for Jim. Jim jumps out, hits the rock above the grave with his phaser. And for some reason, all of a sudden phasers cause earthquakes. Yeah. Cause phasers doing that knocks Gary back into the thing. And then the rock falls on, but it was, it was very confusing as all of a sudden there's an earthquake when Kirk shoots the big rock. Okay. Are you really going to tell me that a phaser can't melt styrofoam? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Now I I figured that what they were going for is that he, he shot the base of a really big rock and a really big rock fell and it shook the ground. And I don't know. It was not satisfying. I was going to say, I'm totally with you at that. Except for the problem was the ground started shaking before the rock moved. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. I mean, also wait a second. Okay, this guy is the powers of God. You just put a rock on top of him. We just watched Obi-Wan Kenobi last year. Darth Vader did the same thing to Obi-Wan Kenobi in that series, and that didn't work. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, Kirk's able to wrap it up with a nice tidy bow, and he needs to get a ride home. So he pulls out his flip phone and just very, very gingerly (laughs) opens it up with two hands because he still can't figure out how to flip it like like Spock does. It doesn't have the you whole know they were, thing yet. 
you know they were back or behind the set and and uh, Spock or uh, Nimoy's like, hey, this is how you do it. And she was like, I just, I don't get it. <laughs> is it, is it, is it flip forward? No, no, it's, a, uh, uh, it's you just got to snap your wrist. <laughs> maybe they can make me a special one where it's easier. Right. Uh, maybe they can make it smaller. All right. I'll talk to him. <laughs> and then Spock saw, I, uh, I felt for Mitchell. I really did. I mean, I wanted to kill him a lot, but I, I really <laughs> felt for him. And, and Kirk does the whole racist thing. Well, you know, there's some hope for you after all, Mr. Spock. And they cut out the scene, the line right afterwards where Spock looks at him and is like, screw you. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. He, he does it with his eyebrows. <laughs> we do get to see that. And as we mentioned, for some reason, Scotty is at the navigation station when we leave. Yep. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I the only thing I can figure is that uh, everybody else was either dead or on leave. I don't know. Maybe those maybe, nine maybe it was guys one of those job were those the, job shadow days where you like switch jobs with other people. Oh, that could be it. Because that sounds I like think, something Kirk would do. That sounds like one of those just asinine management moves that Kirk would do. That's true. Maybe all nine of the guys who died were actually on that side of the board. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty's just the one who's left. Session. I have no right? idea. Scotty's like, well, I did navigation in college, but I, I guess I could do it. <laughs> Can't Smith do this? Or, right? Or Jones? <laughs> Whatever her name is. All right, folks. Well, that is the end of our show. Um, this was a weird one. Uh, it definitely... I, I, <laughs> listen... It's iconic, right? It's it is absolutely one of the episodes that people think about when they think about the original series. Yes, yes. Um, the the shiny eyes. That's that's a great bit. Um, but the show had definitely not come into its own yet. Things were still real weird and real stunted. Uh, the next episode that we go on, we will absolutely start getting into stuff we're used to, and they'll find their footing because you know by that point it's episode four. Um, <laughs> so they'll they'll get some stuff figured out. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I would say it's worth watching and it's probably a solid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As Star Trek goes, it's a good Star Trek. Yeah. It's got lots it's, of things you're familiar with. A few things you aren't. It is not the Star Trekiest Star Trek that's Star Trek though. <laughs> Which our next episode, the naked time is so Star oh. Trek that it will actually spur a sequel within Star Trek itself. That's right. It's going to Star Trek. It's Star Trek a little bit Star Trekker than Star Trek. That's good stuff. And I mean, you can't have a better name than the naked time. Because <laughs> <laughs> with Jim Kirk, you could imagine him saying, Hey, when I'm around, <laughs> it's always the naked time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Gene said that at least once. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you next time. Uh, in the meantime, I want to say a quick thank you to our good friends over at Five Year Mission for the use of their song Beam Down as our intro and outro. Thank you. Uh, make sure you head on over to fiveyearmission.net and check them out. They have uh, an, a song for every episode of the original series grouped into albums. They're really, really cool. Um, and they are available for download on 
I don't think on their website, but you can buy them on Apple Music. And I just found out they've also got a Spotify as well. So definitely check them out. Uh, It's really good stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much. Later.